So yesterday, Ken Voldrek called about our loadout today. Um, we have been loading in and out here at this school. Uh, after church, we will be loading things out. If you would like to ever drive a truck with a trailer, then please stay afterwards. Ken will give us a demonstration on how not to do things and how to do things because I have not met anybody who can drive anything better than Ken. So, uh, but he and I talked yesterday. Afterwards, he came over to my house and helped pull out some unwanted plants from our yard. The yard now looks closer to what my wife envisioned it when we moved in. Everything that I said to you just now was true. It was also very boring. It was very clinical. What I did is I just presented to you a bunch of facts. There wasn't much excitement there. There wasn't much cover or color. Uh, would it seem a little more lively if I said that Ken volunteered to bring his truck over to help me pull out these massive, heavy, painful sago palms? So on this first picture, you can see, barely because of the lighting in here, we have sago palm on the left-hand side, sago palm on the right, and actually over here by the fence, two more sago palms. And uh, would this story be more appealing or, again, engaging if I said that Ken brought rope and chain and we, bo we busted the rope twice and the chain once and in, in trying to get out these sago palms, and then I had to go and buy the appropriately beefy set of chain for us to be able to pull these things out. Um, would you draw nearer to the story if I was whiny and said that my hands now hurt for two days of chopping and sawing, and I've got blisters on both hands from all the work that I am not accustomed to doing anymore? Um, or would it be more engaging? Here, go to the next slide, Isaac. So this is like the base of one of them. I had to dig all the way around it. That's what's remaining of it. That's the last one that Ken got um, with just the toe hitch and pulling it, and like it made a huge mess. Would, would you engage with the story more if you can see now in the next set of pictures what our house looks like without the dreaded sago palms. Go to the next one. And in fact, it's clear and ready for the azaleas that will go in. And then in the next slide, for the lantana that we have already put in its place. See, this is the monumental day that we had, and that comes with some color. It's beyond just the simple fact. It's the thing that draws you in and says, wow, I want to know more. This is exciting. We are in our Together series at Neartown Church, where we have been looking at Scripture and asking, okay, why the church? Why do we gather? What's the point? Why are we here? Today, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, and we're going to, at the start, we're going to work through this text. And as we're working through it, I know that it's going to come off a bit clinical. It's going to come off like there's just a bunch of facts. And in a way, 
y'all can sit there, I can talk, and it's going to come across like information, and we're going to feel like, oh good, I have some more information. I'm glad I know that now. But as we talk, I'm, I'm going to press in a little bit, and, and towards the end, we're going to start to add some color. And as we add that color and paint the picture of what the church can be as a unified front in Christ, well then, let's start talking about that picture. What can a unified church be? And how can we get there? Okay, will you all join me in prayer? Lord, I ask that you work through these facts. You work through these things that are already truths that you have set in Scripture. And Lord, I ask that you draw us in. Work through the facts. Add the color, Lord. Give us a vision of what can be. Excite our hearts. Excite our hearts for what you can do in and through your church in this world. Draw us in This is what we ask of you, Jesus. Please be present. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible or are on your phone or just want to look at the screen above us, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We will solely be in 11 through 22 today. Chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. I'm only going to step away from the text to say a few things. One, circumcision is a ritual that the Jews were asked to perform by God to separate themselves, the men, from those who were uncircumcised. So the people who were circumcised were the Jews Everybody else was uncircumcised. They were the only ones that held this ritual. Now, this was a a covenantal ritual that God set up with his people. That one thing, as well as many other aspects of the Jews, helped separate these two camps, Jews and Gentiles. So you have on one side the Jews. This people was one that uh, their God reached out to them. They were a special people called by this unique God, given unique customs and unique covenants. And through those covenants were a set of promises that were available in and through God to this people, the Jews. Now, the Gentiles were everybody else. Uh, Gentiles is another way, if you look at the Greek, to say the nations. Okay, so it's everybody else. And so the Gentiles were separate from the Jews. They didn't have access to this God. They didn't have access to uh, these covenants uh, through like a birth process. Uh, They had to work really, really, really hard uh, as God lays out in the law to actually come under uh, that headship, but very few did. And so you have Jews over here and you have Gentiles over here. This wasn't just a religious thing. So we're at church and we're talking about Jews, and sometimes our minds go to a default place with religion. And so it's like, okay, oh, we're just talking religious differences. This is not just a religious difference. This is a racial difference. So you had the Jews, and then again, the nations, everybody else. And the Jews had this feeling that 
They were the special people. They were the chosen people. They were the superior people. And they let the Jews know that all, or the Gentiles know that all the time. So there was subtle and then not so subtle racism constantly between Jews and Gentiles. So now Paul is writing to this Ephesian church, which has a great number of Gentiles and some Jews coming together now as the church. And they aren't getting along all that much. Uh, It's almost as if, and I'm definitely not saying that's what's happening today, this side of the room sat where they did because they intentionally did not like this side of the room. And they wanted to stay separate. And they really needed this gap of so many chairs between them before they could feel like, okay, we can come under the same roof. Um, There was animosity built up. And so the uncircumcised, as the Gentiles were called, this is a derogatory term. We, the circumcised, call you the uncircumcised. They didn't want anything to do with each other, even though they were in Christ. And so now Paul is writing to them and saying, wait a minute. Hold on. Let's look at this a little closer. So, therefore remember that at one time you, the Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision but by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Look at that in verse 12. The list is above you. These things were all true of Gentiles before Christ. They were separated from Christ. They were alienated from the societal good of Israel. So that's kind of like a political statement of being a part of that nation and the good that comes with being in that nation. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. All that God had spoken and given to Israel through Adam, through Noah, through Abraham, through Moses, through David, all of those things were off limits. And they, as Gentiles, were strangers to them. They had no idea about them. They had no hope. Those who were Gentiles looked at what the Jews had, looked at their existence, And they knew they had no part of that. They had no hope. And not only did they have no hope in the day-to-day, they did not have God present with them. Paul, very similar to what Russell talked about last week. Russell did the first part of chapter 2 last week and talked about how things were different before Christ. Well, Paul's bringing this out again to saying this is what was different. Remember, don't forget, at one point, this was true of you. These things are true for everybody who is not in Christ. So if you are in this room and you haven't really planted your flag yet with Jesus, this is true for you. There is a hopelessness that sits above you. You're without God. And Paul's reminding the listeners, this is y'all. Don't forget where you came from. Know your roots. (laughs) This is where you were. And then it jumps to verse 13. But now, but now 
in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So at the start of verse 13, he has just laid out this really uh, painful, damaging sad reminder of where we all were, those who are Gentiles. I'm looking across the room, and I can say almost confidently most of us fall into the Gentile camp. So we were not born into this heritage either. We were separate from it, and then Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus. There is the big flip of the switch. The tails have turned. It's now going in a different direction. Now we can even look at verse 12 and say all these things that were now not true of the Gentiles are true for the Gentiles. So look at that list. Isaac, can you put that previous slide back up? Previously you were separated from Christ. Now you are joined in Christ. Previously alienated from the societal good. Now brought into the fold of the goodness that is with Israel. Previously strangers to the covenants of promise. Well, Now you're very familiar. So now the promises that God has given to Israel through the covenants is available to those who are in Christ. You were hopeless. Now you are hopeful. There is a present hope with Jesus Christ. And you, because of Jesus, are with God in the day to day. This is a huge flip of the script. The storyline has totally changed. Again, some of this might come across, again, as facts. Oh, well, that's interesting. I previously had no hope, and now I have hope. That's good. Let me note that. I have hope. Okay? It's so much more than just facts. I love how verse 13 says, we were far off. Our position was far off from Jesus, from hope. And it doesn't say, and then we realized it, and turn around, and ran as fast as we could. No, it says we were brought near. This is a passive thing. We got to ride on the bandwagon (laughs) that was Jesus. He transported us from where we were, where we could not get out of, and he took us to himself through his blood, through his death on the cross, through the resurrection from the grave, Jesus did the impossible. He brought us from far away and he brought us near. Can I get an amen? This is what Jesus has done for us. Paul reminding the readers, reminding us, this is his doing. This is his doing. This is not of you. This is not your work. And Jesus has brought us near. We are unified in our position. See, there was two camps. There were the Jews and there were the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, you were separated. You had one who was near. You had one who was far. And because of Christ and the work that he has done, he has now unified you in your position in him. Our position is together as his church is unified in him. Now the truths exposed here were true then, and they convey long-standing truths for us today. The unified position in Christ is no longer about heritage. 
nor is it about ritual obligation. There is a common ground that all who are in Christ stand on. We are united, unified, in position on a common ground. Now, this is not ground to fight for or fight over or fight about. The fight has already been won. We are united on this ground. This is not a position to rule from. This is not a position to wield power from. This is not a position of political force, nor a voting block to manipulate. Those who are unified in Christ are unified in our position in Him. That's where we stand. Christ establishes us. Okay, so we are unified in position. If we are unified in position, what's next for us? Verse 14. For he himself is our peace. I find it fascinating. Paul is clearly writing about the racism that is present in this body. And these are people he loves. And they're fighting. And they're secretly hating still one another. And so he doesn't come out and say, okay, stop it. You know, that's always a good encouraging line. Stop it. Oh, I needed you to tell me that. I wouldn't have thought of it before. No, he doesn't just come out and say, stop it. He doesn't come out and say, be at peace. He goes with another far more meaningful, far more foundational route. And he says, Jesus is our peace. He doesn't say, be at peace. He says, Jesus is our peace. And it's critical. If we are going to be a unified body, we need to be unified in peace. And Paul is stating, you are, fact, statement, you are unified in peace. Again, verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he, might, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So Isaac, if you can put up the slide. In verses 14 through 16, he walks through this and says, what is now true about us who are unified in peace? He has made us one. Jesus has already done this, has made us one. He's broken down the wall of hostility. There was something that existed between Jews and Gentiles. It was in the law in regards to the circumcision, who was quote-unquote in and who was out. And Jesus has done away with that ritual obligation. Old Testament talks about it a lot. New Testament talks about it a lot. It's not here, but his desire is a circumcision of the heart, something where the heart comes to know God, leans into him, and says, I need you. It's a circumcision of the heart. It's now not a ritual obligation. It's one that is felt on the inside through a movement of him. He took care 
of the dividing portions of the law, like I was just saying. He made him in himself one new man in the stead of the two. Everybody had already either come to know their identity as I am a Jew and I have these covenantal promises, or I am a Gentile and I'm left out. And Paul said, this has been done away with in Jesus. He has now brought us as one, one new human, one new humanity. We are unified in peace, and he made the peace. Jesus made peace by abolishing and taking care of the separating factors and said, no, you are at peace. I have now reconciled both of you. You were separated. I have brought you back together reconciled you in my body. Jesus took care of it. Jesus took care of it in his body through his death on the cross. He has now taken care of the thing that separated, the thing that bothered, the thing that constantly kept them at friction with one another. And he said, hostility, I love the word. He doesn't even just say hostility was banished, hostility went away. Hostility was killed. It literally died on the cross. Jesus took care of it. It's dead. There is now no hostility or reason for hostility between races because we are unified in position. We are unified in peace. This is what Jesus has for us. And Jesus doesn't just come to the scene and say, okay, everything's great for Jews I'm just going to do the subtle change for the Gentiles and bring them in. Verse 17 clearly states, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, Gentiles, and peace to those who were near. There was an action step still for the Jews. They still needed to come to Christ. They still needed to find their identity in him, not in their ritual obligation, not in where they were born. It's all new. It's all in him. The two have been made one. They are unified in peace. So what does this, as a unified body, unified in peace, what does that actually look like? See, when we talk about peace, I think all of us sometimes hear what we see around us. And when the world talks about peace, they talk about the feel-goods. They talk about... uh, Finding happiness and, all, and, and finding just no fighting. And so peace comes across in terms, I, I feel like, in vague terms. And it's, it's this nice nebulous thing in the far off. Jesus comes and he says, I am peace and I am going to bring peace to my people. What does that look like in real time? It could look like spouses who are fighting, who are on the rocks, coming to forgive each other and come back to the middle and to forgive. Not to say what you have done is useless or, eh, it didn't mean that much. You note it, you forgive it, and you come back in peace in Christ. It means business partners who are at odds, choosing to forgive what the other person has done, making it clear that they are not going to hold it against them. And they will be unified in peace. What does it look like? There is a pastor here in town 
whose older brother had his ear cut off by the KKK. He's black. The KKK had done violence to he and his family all through growing up. And one of the leaders of the KKK in the area came to Christ. And this pastor and that former leader sat together on a stage. And the KKK leader asked for forgiveness. And the two were united in Christ and said, this is what the love of Christ looks like, the ultimate forgiveness. That is what is possible when Christ is at the center and we are unified in peace. It's not the vagaries. It's not just the feel-goods. It's something tangible that happens in our lives, and it is difficult, but it has been accomplished in Christ. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I get a chuckle in this because Paul, he keeps hitting this our and us and our and we. He's trying to make sure that this is a communal call. He's trying to make sure everybody knows this is for the whole church. And then he says, just in case you think that one camp has one spirit and one camp has another spirit and everybody's trying to get to God in different routes, one spirit to the Father. For kicks and grins, the Trinity is shown here in verse 18. We have him being referenced in Jesus. We have the spirit being mentioned. We have the Father being mentioned. The Trinity is real Paul is citing it and saying the Trinity is unified. This is one God we are talking about. They are unified in purpose, three persons, one God. And then he just moves on. There is a subtle call, be unified like the Trinity, like God is. But he doesn't elaborate on that because he's Paul. So he just moves on quickly. Verse 19, so then, since we have been unified, We are unified in position. We are unified in peace. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There is a massive identity shift. Paul is hitting on this identity, this new, uh, this new man, this new being, this new person that we are now in Christ. So in verses 19 through 22, what does that identity shift look like? Okay, well, already in this passage, we were strangers and now we are family. We were aliens, and now we are citizens. We were enemies, and now we are saints. We were orphans. We are now members of the household of God. We were useless. We had no use to God. But now we are being used as critical building blocks in God's temple. We were not a people, and now we are a people. We are unified in position, we are unified in peace, and we are unified as a people. He has given us a new identity. He has proclaimed, you were these things in me, you are not. This is who you are now. 
This is who you are now. You are family. You are citizens. You are saints. You are members of the household of God. You are critical building blocks. In his temple, you are a new people. In Jesus, we are being made into a dwelling place for God. Verse 22, I I love how this is phrased. In him, again, don't miss these in hymns. These are promises that are only available in Jesus. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So in him, being built, this is again a passive, just like we were brought near. We are being built. Jesus is the actor. He is working through the Spirit. He is making us new. This is about him. This is not about you. This is not that Jesus has done something so that you can now be the really good moral person you always wanted to be, where you then try really, really hard every day to be perfect. Jesus already freed you from that. He has freed us from that. I say us because that is my bane. That's the thing I struggle with. And Jesus has freed me, and he says, no, 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 no. you're my people. I have unified you in me in position in peace and as a people you don't have to run that rat race anymore but notice it says it's being built together paul is using a verb tense that doesn't signify a completed act it doesn't say and now the temple exists and now you're already perfect and it's already done All you have to do is look in the mirror at least once a day and say, well, I'm not finished yet. I know that God has a lot. He still wants to be working in me. I am not complete. He wants to work this in us. It's happening day by day. And since it is happening, God wants to work in us to get us to this completed spot of Christ-likeness. So, on one hand, there are all these facts that I've put before us, that Paul has put before us, and he said, these things are true. And we get to look at that, and we get to be excited, and we say, yes, God is doing this in me. I am so excited. I am so thankful. And at the same time, we look at this colorful picture of what can be, and we say, I'm not there yet. We are not there yet. We have the facts, but the color is out there. What is it going to take for us to go from facts to this colorful picture? This exciting vision that we want to be a part of a church that looks united in position, in peace, and as a people. What can you do to make that dream, a reality. Now, part of this, I hope, everybody gets excited and says, I want some of those things that I've read about Christ to be true in my life. And you are asking yourself, because the Spirit is moving in you, what can I do? Like, I I just want to get closer to God. I want to grow with Him. I want to know Him more so that these things are true, so that the Holy Spirit can use me and use everybody in this community to be built. Now, side note, sometimes when we come at these passages, and we're going to talk about it, you 
and I, we hear them in terms of individual. Okay, well, I need to be unified in position, or I have been. I have been unified in peace. I have been unified as a people. That sounds good for me. But Paul is talking about this in terms of the body, in terms of the community. So when I look out here, I look at Anand. Christ is not just represented in Anand. Christ is most fully represented in Anand and Ken and Joe. Like, there is a fullness of Christ that is shown when the body is gathered. We are represented across all the people that God has saved and is moving in. This is a communal call. This is what he wants for the church. So then, what is it going to look like for us, united together, unified, to see this lived out? We as Neartown have tried to provide lots of ways for our people to get connected to get plugged in, to grow together. I'm holding up the very last copy of our prayer books. And I'm holding it up because, first of all, this isn't mine. Mine's at home. I'm sorry. I was forgetful this morning. But we have to order more of these because everybody has taken them. That's great. So how are we being unified to work through these, to pray to God, to ask others how we can pray for them, to go before God and seek his face, to pray, and then to come back to those folks and follow up and say, how has God moved? I've been praying for you. How are those follow-ups going? This is a way that we can be unified together to that colorful picture that God has for us. We have Sunday morning. If you're listening to me now, you made it for Sunday morning. Congratulations. But we're here every Sunday, and we want to gather as the church, every week, to sing God's praise, both in song and in gathering. And I'm trying not to sneeze. It's not working. Uh, We gather here weekly together, and we want everybody in the church... Goodness gracious. (laughs) I'm trying. Uh, If it happens, it happens. I just want it to either happen or not happen. Um... We have a gathering weekly together to encourage one another. Like, that's one of the most thrilling things that I have when I gather with everybody is I get to see you. I'm a people person, so that's not really hard. But I want to see you. I want to know what God's doing in your life. I want to know how you are doing. And so if I ever ask, how are you doing, I actually mean it. How are you doing? And I hope that you get to have that with the body of Christ every Sunday. Beyond that, we have loop groups every week. They gather at homes. These loop groups are ways and places that our people bind together and say, what is God doing in our lives? How are we lifting others up? How are we encouraging one another? How are we actually going to take God's word and his, this ethic of being a people gathered together in peace? What difference does that make? You, as a loop group, get to be this unit that is that colorful picture that others get to see. How are you drawing people into that? That's something that you, if you're in a loop group, be in the loop group. Be present there. Lean in. Lean into those relationships. And if you're listening and said, I keep hearing Russell and Andrew and others talk about loop groups, I can't do that. Don't worry. 
we have fit groups. We are trying to launch these and get people engaged in these. And these are smaller groups, two or three people of the same gender, meeting together on a weekly or every other week basis to go through God's word, to see what God has for them, and to encourage each other in the faith. We want to challenge and encourage each other to grow so that we can be that colorful picture that we, we read about in the Bible and we say, I want that to be true. So what steps are we taking to make that true? If you have questions about fit groups, there are sheets in the back. If you want to get involved in one and you have not been involved in one yet, write fit groups on your Connect card. Slip it in the back. I'll give you a call this week. We here at Neartown want everybody to be connected to each other, connected to God and to what God is going to do. We want to work fully to get to that final picture of what he has for us, this beautiful, colorful image. We have been unified in peace. We have been unified in position, and we've been unified as a people. So now, what can we do through his power to get there? There's probably been a few things that God has been tugging at your heart with. The band, if you guys want to come up, will transition to communion. There have been things that uh, maybe the Spirit has been challenging you in. See, you heard the facts that you are unified in Him in position, peace, and as a people. But there are ways maybe you're saying, I don't feel that yet. I'm not acting like that's true yet. And so at this time, let's go before God in prayer and say, Lord, what do you have for me? What, how do I need to respond? Lord, I trust that you are present and that you are hearing all of these prayers. Please answer quietly and certainly in the next few moments. Draw us in. Draw us near. Let us realize where we are in you. Not where we have to achieve, not where we have to work for, but let us see the free gift that you have given us. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.